Job chapter 27. Job continued his discourse saying, As God lives, who has deprived me of justice, and the Almighty who has made me bitter, as long as my breath is still in me, and the breath of, from God remains in my nostrils, my lips will not speak unjustly. Now I'm going to stop right there for just a moment because sometimes when you and I face injustice, we like to throw it right back at somebody. Sometimes when we face criticism, man, it, it gets in a, a yo mama contest. I mean, you were cutting them down, they are cutting you down. And sometimes, maybe not you, but I, me, sometimes when I face injustice, I want to lash out. I want to right the wrong instead of just trusting God and trusting the process. Maybe I'm the only one that sometimes struggle with trusting the process. Maybe I'm the only one who sometimes doesn't try and take matters into my own hands. But I, listen, with me, that, that I can identify here and I can say, Job, you, you got, you're a better man than me, Job. You're a better man than me. All right, so he says, I, might, I will not speak unjustly and my tongue will not utter deceit. I will never affirm that you are right. He's talking to his friends. I will maintain my integrity until I die. I will cling to my righteousness and never let it go. My conscience will not accuse me as long as I live. May my enemy be like the wicked and my opponent like the unjust. And what hope does the godless man have when he is cut off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry? When distress comes on him, will he delight in the Almighty? Will he call on God at all times? I will teach you about God's power. I will not conceal what the Almighty has planned. All of you have seen this for yourselves. Why do you keep up this empty talk? Man, if you can't memorize any other verse in the Bible, you ought to memorize that for some <laughs> staff meeting you've got to struggle through. Hello, somebody. For some training you've got to sit through. You ought to memorize this verse. All of you have seen this for yourselves. Why do you keep up this empty talk? This is a wicked man's lot from God, the inheritance the ruthless receive from the Almighty. Even if his children increase, they are destined for the sword. His descendants will never have enough food. Those who survive him will be buried by the plague. Yet their widows will not keep will not weep for them. Though he piles up silver like dust and heads up a wardrobe like clay, he may heap it up, but the righteous will wear it and the innocent will divide his silver. The house he built is like a moth's cocoon or a booth set up by a watchman. He lies down wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, it is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood of storms. A storm wind sweeps him away at night. An east wind picks him up and he is gone. It carries him away from his place. It blasts at him without mercy. While he flees desperately from its grasp, it claps its hands at him and scorns him from its place. Let us pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, sometimes in a story like Job, we all can get bogged down in the frustration and the, and the, the trial that Job went through. But I know if we'll, if we'll listen and if we'll look into this and we'll see the example that we have to follow, that no matter the jabs thrown at us by life, no matter the accusations that are hurled at us by so-called friends, no matter what we go through in this thing called life, you go through it with us. And that is the best promise that anybody in here could claim. That you are with us always. Through the storm, through the trial, through the darkness. You are right there. And so God, help us to, 
to apply these biblical truths to our lives because what good are they if it's just words on a page? If we don't do something, if it doesn't change the way we live, if it doesn't affect an attitude, if it doesn't change our calloused heart, then what have we accomplished? We've just gone through another Sunday church. God forbid. Thank you for all your blessings. Hide me behind the old rugged cross that these that have come out today wouldn't hear from me, but they would hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As frustrated as Job was, he vowed to never allow injustice to come out of his mouth, even though, even though he was unjustly accused, and even though what he was going through did not feel fair. I, I remember I would occasionally uh, mention, uh, you know, well, that's not fair. And my dad, in his infinite wisdom, would say something like, Well, life's not fair! <laughs> but you know what? He's right. And sometimes we have these expectations way up here with relationships or with life or with our job or with our neighbors. And our expectations are way up here. And how many of you know we are bound to be let down and disappointed when our expectations are way up there with people, with places, with jobs. Only when we put our faith and promise in God Himself, then we won't be disappointed. Then we won't be let down. Then we won't ask those those questions of why did you let me down? God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Amen. But Joe promised. He said, no matter what I've been through, I'm not going to allow in, in, uh, injustice to come out of my mouth. And so my question for you that I've been asking myself all week is are you able to remain calm and collected in the middle of the storm? Are you able to remember those promises that we were just challenged to remember? Are you able to cling those and quote those and, and hold on to that when life does throw you an unfair mix? Are you able to remain calm and collected while the world spins out of control? We got trains running off tracks. We got balloons <laughs> floating around. And then they have the audacity. I love that Jewish word, chutzpah. They have the chutzpah to look you in the eye on TV and say, there's always been balloons flying over the country. <laughs> what are you worried about? China's always been putting those white things. You just never paid attention. Okay. Anyway, while the world's spinning out of control, you've got to find a way to remain calm and collected. I've been asked by some of you, how long, Brother Chad, between the time that Job lost his possessions his family. How long did he face all of that and then the friend's criticism before he's finally vindicated in the end? How long did that process take? And the short answer is months. Months. And I think about in our culture how everything is instant, instant messaging, instant gratification. We want everything at this moment. I think about how backwards that is in our culture to have to go through what Job faced, because we would all agree he faced a lot of difficulty. But now that you know it didn't just last a day or two, now that you know it went into weeks, and those weeks turned into months, and maybe those months even rolled over into a year, <coughs> now that you have that in perspective and you can see what Job faced and what he went through and yet what he was willing to still cling to <coughs> and still have hope, mm. I want you to look real quick at Psalm 30. Psalm 30 and verse 5. Somebody that's here this morning needs to remember this promise 
Psalm 30 and verse 5. Alright, so the next time you're asked to claim a promise of God, here's your good one. Psalm 30 and verse 5. And the Holy Spirit just laid this one on my heart. For His anger lasts only a moment, but His favor a lifetime. Amen. Weeping may spend the night, but there is joy in the morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but my joy comes in the morning. And where? how does my joy come in the morning? Because that rising sun reminds me of the risen sun. How does my joy come in the morning when I've cried all night? Any of you ever woke up with a wet pillow and it ain't from slobber? <laughs> you cry through the night because life just isn't fair? How does my joy come in the morning? Because your joy is not based on circumstances. Your joy is not based on a paycheck. Your joy is not based on your next door neighbor. Your joy is not even based on who's in the White House. Newsflash somebody. Your joy should not be based on the occupant of the White House. And if it is, you're in for a long trial, Joe. My joy is based on my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not based on stress. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on what I made on my test. It's not based on any of that. Parker's home from, from college. He's sick this morning, dealing with just this lingering cough that a lot of people are dealing with. And so I was asking, well, how's it been? And his immediate response was to talk about an accounting test. He's a finance major. You can do that for me. Uh, <laughs> His immediate response was that he thought he had done, don't you, don't, oh, this was one thing I really struggled with in college and in seminary. When you thought you did good on the test, and you get it, and the teacher does like this. Yeah, so he, he focused on that, and he didn't do well on an accounting test. And that was his focus. And so I then was able to, to draw out of him some other things going on with campus life. He's on this social activities board and they're playing great things and great activities and all of his other classes are going great and everything's going good and I'm like did you notice that when I asked you how your semester was the semester just started by the way in January and you immediately focused on the test in accounting that you did not do well in. and that's what we sometimes do we focus on the test that we didn't do well on and we are, we ignore everything else that God is doing that God is blessing that God has provided you with why do we have a tendency to drift into the lane of negativity when you are on the highway of productivity? Focus on that and don't allow these distractions to get to you. It's amazing how one bad test can just cloud a whole semester. Joy comes in the morning because your joy, whether you're having a great semester or not, your joy is not based on your grades. Your joy is based on your relationship with Christ. So... Now, you may cry through the night. You may, your pillow may be drenched with tears because of a bad day, but joy comes in the morning. Now, let's go over to Job chapter 28. Job chapter 28. This is called a hymn, a hymn to wisdom. It's like a song that Job apparently in his speech uh, made. And, and it's so interesting that he, he's, he's got a hymn to wisdom. Because oftentimes we forget of the power of a song. I don't know if you've used music before as therapy, but I would encourage you to give it a shot. Even if you say, I don't like music, I don't care for music. Well, listen to me. 
I have found that music can really elevate your mood if it's the right kind of music. Uh, I have found that music is very therapeutic. And so I find it interesting that uh, just beyond the halfway point of the story of Job, there is a hymn to wisdom, a song to wisdom. Listen to what he says. Surely there is a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the ground. Pay attention to this, please. This is the oldest book in the Bible. It is an ancient book. It is old, 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 and yet it is giving you actual scientific evidence for its authenticity. Not that it has to, but it does. Iron is taken from the ground, and copper is smelted from ore. A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes the deepest recesses for ore in the gloomy darkness. He cuts a shaft far from human habitation in places unknown to those who walk above ground. Do you know that for centuries, so-called smart people taught the hollow earth? Not only did you have people teaching flat earth, but you had people teaching hollow earth. That there was nothing underneath this. And yet the Bible declared to you years ago, Oh, contraire, mon frere, there is something in the center of the earth. It is not hollow. I just find it so interesting that the oldest book in the Bible put it out there. And yet years after the Bible, people that we give credit to, Egyptians, believed in flat earth. Uh, the Greeks, who so, supposedly were just the most advanced civilization at one time. I'm referring to ancient Greeks, so don't get it twisted. I'm not making a statement on ethnicity, but ancient Greeks, they're so smart and so philosophical, do you know what they taught? They taught that gold was made from mixing water and sunlight. Can you imagine a bunch of Greeks out there with a hero, hero? <laughs> Just turn a little longer. Start a little longer, Leo. Come on, you can do this. Literally, the Bible declared that these minerals come from the earth. They come out of the rocks. And yet, so-called smart people that we give a whole lot more credit to than they deserve try to teach a hollow earth. So he goes on to say, suspended far away from people, the miners swing back and forth. Food may come from the earth, but below the surface, the sur below the surface, the earth is transformed as by fire. That is one. Look up at me. That is one hundred percent scientifically true. The core of the earth is a consuming fire. In fact, they've measured the temperature at the core of the earth, and it is just as hot as the surface of the sun. Ten thousand degrees Fahrenheit. At the core of the earth, there is this burning fire. And the Bible declared that, and the Bible said that, in the oldest book in the Bible, and yet, smart people said, no, it's, it's hollow. <laughs> its rocks are a source of sapphire containing flecks of gold. There you, hey, Greeks, you didn't have to mix gold and water. Good luck with that. No bird of prey knows that path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts have never walked on it. No lion has ever prowled over it. The miner strikes the flint and transforms the mountains at their foundations. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes spot every treasure. He dams up the streams from flowing so that he may bring to light what is hidden. But where can wisdom be found, and where is understanding located? No man can know its value. Now, he's just been talking about sapphire. He's just been talking about gold. And some of your, your heart rate has already increased at the thought of gold and 
sapphire and jewelry. But yet he's placing the value of wisdom much higher. Where can wisdom be found? Where is understanding located? No man can know its value since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say, it's not in me. While the sea declares, I don't have it. Gold cannot be exchanged for it. And silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. And precious onyx or sapphire, gold and glass do not compare with it. And articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it. Coral and quartz are not worth mentioning. The price of wisdom is beyond pearls. Tell that to Barbara Bush. Topaz from Cush cannot compare with it and it cannot be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from and where is understanding located? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say we have heard news of it with our ears. But God understands the way to wisdom and He knows its location. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and limited the water by measure, when He established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, He considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord is this, wisdom, and to turn from evil is understanding. When you face those trials, when you face those days that end in why, you need wisdom. Because I'll be the first to tell you, you won't always know why this is happening. It won't always make logical sense. You won't be able to put it, put it in this nice, uh, tidy little box and say, this explains everything. No, sometimes you won't have the answer. Sometimes it won't make sense. And that is where you pray for wisdom and you cling to faith. You pray for wisdom and you grab tighter to faith. You pray, God, I don't understand this right now, but maybe there's a lesson to be learned. There's something that I can gain from this. There's something I need to change. He closes out this section by discussing the value of wisdom. A man who had lost possessions, he had lost cattle, he had lost all those things, he lost his children, he faced the tragedy of losing his sons and daughters, seven sons and three daughters killed. And then he faced his own painful affliction when his health was attacked. A man going through that would need wisdom and would need to cling to faith. I want you to look at Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9. I've been doing the proverb of the day if you are at a standstill in your quiet time and don't know how to begin your morning with the Lord. Just try the psalm of the day or the proverb of the day. I find they're both very, both very fruitful and effective. What that means is you take the day of the month. So obviously on, uh, on February 9th, I read the ninth proverb. I also read the ninth psalm. But I really thought that this fit with our message this morning. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's so much to be gleaned from that one verse. And I read that on... On February 9th, it was the proverb of the day, and I, I was literally preparing for this message. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We need that faith and wisdom to get us through those trials. Albert Einstein once said, Any fool can know. The point is to understand. Any fool can can know and have the scientific information and they can know things, but Einstein said the point is to understand. Sometimes knowing something is not understanding something. The things you can understand are the things that shall remain a mystery. According to Deuteronomy, it does say that there are some things that shall remain a mystery. I love people that think they have to know the answer to everything. And they think, you know, well, if, I, if God just showed me this and explained this, then I'd have faith. Well, that's not faith then. You have, to, you have to have proof. And that's not faith. But wisdom, the things you can't understand, we accept by faith. And then we pray for that wisdom to learn from every trial. Job didn't like what he was experiencing. But he prayed for wisdom to understand for wisdom, and for his faith to grow to get him through that trial. I love this quote, Wisdom is forgetting your mistakes, but remembering the lessons you learn from them. Wisdom is forgetting your mistakes, but remembering the lessons that you learn from them. Isn't it awesome, by the way, let's close with this. Isn't it awesome that God chooses? You ever thought about this? God chooses to forget your sins when you're saved. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-seeing. And yet, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, He chooses to forget your sin because of what Jesus Christ, His Son, did. By taking, his, by taking your sin upon Himself, He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. You know, east and west never touch. As far as the east is from the west, God chooses to forget your sins. He buries them in a sea of forgetfulness, according to the the word, a sea of forgetfulness. So today, regardless of whether you're going into a trial, you're going through a trial right now, or you're coming out of a trial, you need to turn to Jesus. If there's never been a time in your life where you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, then I, I can tell you right now, no matter what book you read, no matter what lessons you learn from that trial, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You, you, can, have, you can have all the things of the world and all this world has to offer, but if you, if you don't have Jesus, then you have nothing. And so we want to give you an opportunity during what we call the invitation to get your heart right with Jesus Christ, to ask Jesus to save you. And again, you may be going through a trial, you may be heading into one. You may be coming out of one. But if you don't have Jesus, then you have nothing. Let's pray.